when Archbishop Mbanda and Chantal were here recently, I'd, I'd asked them in advance, I said, is there anything you really want to do while you're in Chicago? And they said, well, there is actually. I said, what's that? They said, we want to visit a farm. I said, a farm. I said, this is Chicago. <laughs> they said, well, we want to visit a farm. And so we got searching and looking around, and Heather, our office manager, was trying to find a place. And, you know, I, I, Chantal does keep some animals, so I thought maybe she wanted to see how things are done here in comparison to how things are in Rwanda. It took us a while to find just the right farm. But thanks to Leslie and Gil Smith and the connections they made, we located the Reamer farm in Wisconsin. The Reamers are the third generation of their family to farm the same ground. And for a number of years, they had been in ministry with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. But they made the decision to return to the land where they had been born and grown up and care for it and their animals in the way God had designed, as Bryce Reamer told me. They have cows, they have chickens, they have pigs, and they have sheep. And they graze in the pastures, land that once had been used to grow crops. Their approach is ecological and sustainable. <laughs> One interesting thing was, you know, we got there, it, it rained, and of course, barnyards are muddy when it rains. And the, it was muddy, but you couldn't tell what was mud and what might be other stuff. And so we just had to kind of take, you know, just take a step, take a step. And Chantal was like, oh, the pigs, they're, they're dirty. I said, pigs are dirty, Chantal. And she said, all my pigs are clean, totally clean. And what we figured out is before she goes to the farm, they know she's coming and they wash all the pigs before she sees them. So I hope she's not listening to this or watching this today. But anyway, it was a lovely drive through northern Illinois, through the lakes there into southern Wisconsin, land that began to increasingly roll with hills and valleys. You know this. But it struck me that to get to a farm from here takes a while. I mean, it took us two and a half hours. I mean, we're city and we're town people here, even if we once knew farming life, as some of our families did. And to me, that was a metaphor for distance, not just driving distance, but a distance that shows up when we're interpreting Scripture as well, especially passages that hold up these agrarian images like sheep and shepherds. We've romanticized farm life and symbols so much that we've forgotten how hard a life it can be, and it is. You work every day, usually no vacations. I turned to Bryce as we were walking around his farm. I said, when did you last have a day off? And he gave me a look like, I don't know what you're talking about. There's a total dependence on forces beyond control, like the weather. It's a good life, but demanding. And I think most of the idyllic images we have of farm life, the paintings that we go see in the museum and so on, these pastoral settings, they're for city folk who long for what they think once existed. Well, there are, any, there are many places in the world where people are still on the land, right? But it's under threat from growing urbanization and the commercialization of agriculture. Yet the Bible emerges from a world where to be human, for many people, meant to be on the land or connected to it in some way. Abel was a shepherd. He was the first, wasn't he? Abraham had flocks. Jacob had to tend animals. Moses was shepherding when God called him. David was famously a shepherd. And the prophet Amos was also one who cared for sheep. And in the towns and villages of first century Palestine, sheep and animals were always nearby, as they are today in many of those same places. 
So when Jesus says he is the good shepherd, there was resonance, there was knowledge of what that meant, something that most of us are distant from. So today on this Good Shepherd Sunday, as it's called, we want to know the truth of it. We want to embrace Christ as shepherd as much as we can, to live in the fullness of it. In the Old Testament, God is often referred to as the shepherd of Israel. So when Jesus claims the title of Good Shepherd, it wasn't just a way for him to describe his mission, but it identified him in a particular way. He was placing himself in this unique position in the narrative of God's salvation. And I I think this is one of the reasons we have these scriptures now in the Easter season. He is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep, for us, but also to take it up again, as we're told in John 10. So there are two things that really stand out to me for this week, for us, about these passages. There's much more here, but two I want to just look at briefly. One is the relationship that the Good Shepherd has with the sheep and all that flows from that. And the other is the sacrifice that the shepherd is willing to make. So the relationship and the sacrifice. And of course, they are related. And to help us a little in our understanding today, I'd like to, I'd like to use a lens to look through. A little unusual, but go with me. Because I want to point to a culture where shepherding remains very much at the center, even today. You may know that the Navajo in the southwest of our country have a culture that's very much ordered around relationship to sheep. Something they see as sacred. So I'm going to be weaving in examples uh, from that culture as well, just to help us get a, a feeling for how that can be practiced and lived out and how it is being lived out in our time. And I know in the past I've mentioned the Navajo and this relationship to sheep, but I'll probably say a little more today. The best known shepherd passage from the Bible is what, of course? It's Psalm 23, and it's often read at funerals, but it shouldn't be limited to that. It's words of comfort and assurance are particularly needed when we face the shadow of death as much as death itself. The psalmist describes the relationship with the shepherd in terms of benefit and blessing, right? There's food, there's water, there's a lack of want, there is restoration, there's healing, there's guidance, protection, There's abundance here. And this is all true because of the relationship. The Lord is my shepherd, not just a shepherd. We are the Lord's possession. Yesterday, I conducted a graveside service for the family of a friend. And I love the prayer of commendation that gives assurance and hope of that special relationship between the Lord and his people. It goes like this. Into your hands, O merciful Savior, we commend your servant. Acknowledge, we humbly beseech you, a sheep of your own fold, a lamb of your own flock, a sinner of your own redeeming. Receive him into the arms of your mercy, into the blessed rest of everlasting peace, and into the glorious company of the saints in light. Amen. I mean, you can hear the echoes of Psalm 23 in it, can't you? To dwell in the house of the Lord forever, into the glorious company of the saints in light. In John 10, 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Further down in verse 27, he says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Among the Navajo, the shepherds of a region have one common flock. So the sheep are individually owned, but they all graze together. But the shepherds know which sheep are theirs, and the sheep know them. 
standing in the community is tied to how well each person cares for their own sheep. Because the idea is, if your sheep is not healthy, that harms the whole flock. In other words, how well do you tend to the relationship there? Barbara Brown Taylor says it's very similar in Palestine. Uh, Even today, when Bedouin shepherds bring their flocks home from the various pastures they have grazed. And often, those flocks will end up at the same watering hole at the end of the day. Maybe eight or nine small flocks in this convention of sheep, (laughs) she says. Their shepherds do not worry about the mix-up, however. When it's time to go home, each one issues his own particular call, whether it's a whistle or they play a tune on a reed pipe. And that shepherd's sheep withdraw from the crowd and follow. They know whom they belong to. They know their shepherd's voice. It's the only one they will follow. Among the Navajo, the sheep are considered members of the family. They're not just a measure of wealth. They are tied to identity. They are sacred. They are gifts. They're not owned in a material sense, but they're assigned to the Navajo of who they are as a people. Often when someone has been traveling for a while, they will want to return home, and the most common reason given is, I want to see the sheep. I need to see the sheep. Author Robert Moore wanted to learn how to tend sheep, so he went to live among the Navajo. And he said the first problem was he wanted things explained to him. (laughs) They don't like to do that. They're like, just watch and learn. He wrote that the relationship between a shepherd and a flock is not as clear-cut as it looks. There's a negotiation that's always going on between the sheep and the shepherd. And he made this statement. He said, the essence of herding is not domination. It is dance. It is not domination. It is dance. In other words, it is relationship. The shepherd has a relationship of love and care and provision for the sheep as well as protection. To say, the Lord is my shepherd, is not a dry and dusty statement of doctrine, but a fertile, vibrant, and abundant well of blessing, a cup running over. That's a wonderful relationship that we have with the good shepherd that, that the Lord has instituted and initiated and that we can embrace fully. The second point, though, is that the good shepherd is not only a caregiver. He risks his life. He gives his life for the sake of the sheep. We see this in the incarnation itself, don't we? Where God literally enters the sheepfold as a sheep, in a sense, the Lamb of God. He becomes as we are that we might be as he is. In his suffering and death, we see the supreme gift for the sheep, a laying down of the shepherd's life. Jesus declares, no hired hand will do that. No one who's just punching a time card. But only the true shepherd, only the one who cares and loves until the very end. In the 1930s, the U.S. government decided that the Navajo had too many sheep. And they were overgrazing their land. Of course, it was their land, by the way. And fearful of dust bowl conditions, they approved what was called stock reduction. Of course, the Navajo, this was a terrible sin, a violation of what they held as central to their community. And federal agents went from Hogan to Hogan, shooting sheep, killing what the Navajo considered family members. Many tried to stop it. Some shepherds even laid down in the road to try to block vehicles that were coming. One Navajo man, Tall John, told the agents, he said, if you take my sheep, you kill me. So kill me now. Let's fight right here and decide this thing. 
See, no hired hand will do that. Jesus declares that he is the good shepherd because he lays down his life. Now, if it just ended there, we could give thanks and celebrate this great truth. And it is a great truth of being God's blessed sheep and a shepherd that gave his life for us. And we should celebrate that. But that's not the end of it. That's not the end of the image of the good shepherd. In his first letter, John describes love as Christ laying down his life for us and then insists that we must lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We must offer care and nurture, love and protection when needed. We must offer true relationship that is costly. We must be willing to sacrifice to put others' needs ahead of our own. If we have possessions, if we have time, if we have something that someone else needs, and a brother or sister is in that place of relationship with us, then love compels us to give. If not, there's no love there. He says, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. We are called to love like the good shepherd, to order our lives with others in mind, to be concerned, to care, to act, to take risks for the sake of our brothers and sisters, to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is an extension of the reality of Christ as good shepherd. Over the years, a number of books have been written about the leadership style of Jesus. You probably have seen these. I bet Scott's read a lot of papers from students on this. Jesus as CEO, that kind of thing. But you know, we don't need to invent a new way of talking about how Jesus leads. He told us he is the good shepherd. And as we lead ourselves, others, in our places of influence, this is how it should look. This is what leadership should look like, is the good shepherd, right? I mean, how would society look if the model of leadership was shepherding? I know, it sounds naive, doesn't it? But, but think about it. Leaders who deeply cared for those under their power, their authority. Leaders who were more interested in people's well-being than the advancement of their careers. This would radically transform our life from those in high positions of government to those leading organizations and businesses to those who have authority in all kinds of things, even the police. It would be a huge shift and one that the church must model. Now, I, I do believe we have shepherds in many of these places. I do. Just not enough. I appreciate the words that Pastor Amanda gave to our children today because, you know, the Navajo give a sheep to their children when they're young. They give them a sh one sheep to teach them how to be caring people, to teach them how to nurture, to teach them responsibility, for, to, to have to care for another living thing. How to sacrifice. On the Reamer farm in Wisconsin, the teenage daughters are actually being given ownership of the herds so that they will not just be hired hands. To live to, like the Good Shepherd is something to model to the world and to our children, to counteract all the self-centered energy that makes up so much of our world right now. We can teach them how to live Psalm 23, how to be people of abundance and care, rest, and healing, how to be sheep, <laughs> how to be those of the flock of God, but also how to be shepherds. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.